Well, certainly is a privilege and an honor to introduce you to Aaron and Tessa Richard, our longtime global mission partners from Ellerslie, sent out from Ellerslie. They have very deep roots going all the way back to Lansdowne Baptist Church. And since their time here... Don't date me. Don't date <laughs> Well, I, I know you're, uh, you're not quite as old as me, so youngster. Uh, so we have... Uh, uh, they've served churches from British Columbia going eastward to Ontario and then now really east in the Middle East in a place where it's very hot and they're going to do a way better job of telling, telling you about it than me. So let's pray and uh, then uh, turn things over to Aaron. We thank you, Father, for Aaron and Tessa for their, their spirit of obedience and their willingness to follow you where your spirit has called them. We pray now that you'd be with us for this next bit of time, that you'd fill Aaron with your Holy Spirit and that we, we would hear the message you have for us from him through him. We praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, um, hey everyone, it is so, so awesome to be here at Ellerslie again. I think it's been about three years since uh, Tess and I were last here uh, sharing with the church and, uh, and also welcome to you on online watching. Wish we could uh, see you in person, but, uh, but we're so glad you're joining in as well. And uh, Ellerslie, yeah, like I remember uh, Lansdowne days. I remember when this church was being built and taking tours. Uh, some of you may have been here at the time where I used to stand up here and lead singing 20 years ago. And uh, but we've been on a big journey over these last 20 years, and we're just so glad to be back in, in Edmonton and here with you all. So thank you for having us. Uh, Tessa and I have three uh, kids, Eva, Caden, and Ashton, uh, nine, seven, and five years old, and they are probably tearing it up out there with the kids and having a great time. And uh, it's just really fun to be here today. Um, yeah, as, as mentioned, we serve now in the Middle East in a really incredible city called Dubai. I'm sure you've heard of Dubai. Has anyone been to Dubai before or through? One, two, oh yeah, my parents. And uh, um, yeah, a few others. Wonderful. So some of you know about Dubai. It is really an incredible place. Uh, there's about 3 million people that live in this city. But what's really fascinating is 85% of the people that live there are not from there. They are expats. They are from other countries of the world, from uh, actually 200 nations. We're the city of 200 nations. Um, and uh, so we have people from all around the world, and it's, uh, it is part of an Islamic country, the United Arab Emirates, but we are given the freedom in Dubai to worship as Christians and to, to, uh, to, to live out our faith. And so I actually partner with an international church of about 4,000 people in Dubai, and I lead our small groups ministry there. And as well, we, uh, we're, we've started a ministry to the aviation community, to all the cabin crew and pilots that, that are from all around the world and that fly to all around the world from there. And so uh, what, what's really unique, though, is that you know, a lot of cities are multicultural now. This church is becoming very multicultural, this, this, these neighborhoods. But in Dubai, people only go there for usually up to about five years. And so some people, many less, uh, less than that. And so we have this unique opportunity to, to reach out to people who've never heard about Jesus. And we meet people all the time that have never heard about Jesus. And we get to tell them about Jesus and we get to, we get to train them to be disciples of Jesus and then we send them back home. When their time is done in Dubai, we send them back home to their home countries to bring this gospel message to the places where we, sometimes we just can't go. 
Um, so we, we see this happening. We praise God for it. And we're just so grateful for you as a church family that sends us, that prays for us. Many of you who support us financially and in prayer. We just, we thank God for you. So uh, we, we love you. And uh, it's just wonderful to be with you today. Uh, one of the people that I think exemplifies this for us is something, someone fairly recent named Joachim and uh, of what we're trying to do. And it's, it's, you know, it's an exciting story of, uh, and I'll, I'll start it now and I'll finish it at the end. But uh, Joachim came to, you, uh, to Dubai from Uganda uh, about four or five years ago. And he left his family at home in Uganda, like many people do. And then he came to Dubai in search of work. And he began, he found a good job and was able to make money and send it home to support his family. And Joachim came from a Christian background. He went to church back in Uganda, but when he came to Dubai, he found our church online and he started coming and he realized that he didn't actually have a relationship with God. He didn't actually know the true gospel message. Um, he, he had grown up with something different. And so anyway, he, he began, we began to train him. We began to train him to make disciples of other people, of, of training others to live out their faith. He led multiple small groups and was on our worship team. He's just a fantastic guy. Uh, but unfortunately, this last year, he, he lost his job like many in Dubai did and, and had to leave and go back home. I'll come back to his story in a bit. But his example is important because he, like many people from Uganda, but also many people around Africa and around Asia and South America, and even here in Canada, are, are taught this message, this gospel message that is actually not true. Uh, he was raised with this. It's, it's a message that is really prevalent. And it, I'll be honest, it's really attractive. You hear it and you're like, oh, that sounds great. Like, I want, I want that. And yet it is so distorted. It's not true. And it's based on a misreading of some Bible passages in the, in, in the scriptures, like the one we're looking at today. And we're going through this series this summer at Ellerslie called Misquoted, looking at different Bible verses that have been taken, uh, used incorrectly. And, uh, and so I'm excited to share it with you today and walk through it with you. And this is the verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Does this sound familiar? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Um, that's Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe, maybe you've memorized it. Um, now, I don't have the figures to back this up. I wish I did, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that over the last 20 years, Christian bookstores and keychain makers and bookmark makers and artists have made more money off this verse than any other Bible verse. Maybe you've been given this verse before. Maybe you have it on your wall. You've got, a, you've got, a, you've got it on your fridge on a magnet. You've got, um, you know, someone's given you that keychain before. It's a common one that graduates are given in grade 12 grad. It's like, if you're like, hey, what should I give my, my kid, you know, or give this person on their graduation? There's a Bible verse. This is the one that will pop up. And, uh, it, it, but, and it's so encouraging, isn't it? It's so hopeful. It's so uplifting and empowering. Like who wouldn't want this as your life verse? God knows the plans he's got for my life. He wants to prosper me, right? Uh, it's, it, it communicates so very clearly that God has a plan for every single one of us 
that, that he wants in the coming days and years of our lives, that he wants, to, he wants to prosper us, that he wants us to succeed in all that we do. Uh, it communicates so clearly that he doesn't want to harm us. He wants to keep us safe. That God, that God plans to each, give each one of us on this earth uh, uh, plans of, of hope and a future. Just makes you just like, yes, thank you, God. I'll claim that. That's a good verse. But as encouraging as it is and uplifting as it may seem, there's actually a problem, a pretty obvious problem with the verse. Because what happens when you go through a season of life where we don't prosper? What happens when you find yourself uh, later on in life and you realize I didn't succeed in all that I set out to do and all of my dreams and, and, and things that I wanted to achieve, the future that I wanted, it didn't come out how I pictured it. Or what happens if, in fact, in life we experience not safety, but harm? Well, when that happens, uh, typically we'll respond in one of two ways. Either we will blame ourselves, we'll say, well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I just didn't have enough faith. Maybe that's the problem. Or, or maybe I sinned in some way and God got mad at me and so he's punishing me and therefore I don't get to experience these things, right? So we blame ourselves or we blame God. We say, God, this is your fault. You promised this and you're not delivering. So you're actually not faithful. You don't keep your promises and so you're not good. So why would I worship you? And so for some people, they turn away from God when those sorts of things happen. And I don't know about you, but neither of those answers sound very good. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to explore this morning is what is Jeremiah 29, 11 actually about? What is it actually saying? And how does it, how does it actually can be a helpful verse for us today? So here's a question for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know some of you have memorized it. Have any of you memorized Jeremiah 29, 10? Anyone? No? Okay, don't feel bad. Neither did I. Um, but it's actually really important to read. So here's a hint for when we're reading the Bible. Um, we always have to read it in context. You're going to hear this every single week of this series. We've got to not just read the one verse. If you ever just read one verse, chances are you're going to misquote it. You need to know what's happening. And especially if a verse starts with the word for. This was a super cheesy thing. Maybe you've heard this before. I learned this in Bible college. But if you ever see the word for in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? And you have to go back and, and look at what the rest of the passage says. So here is um, Jeremiah 29, 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And here it is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Okay, so hold up there. All of a sudden we realize something. This verse was written to a very specific group of people at a very specific time and place regarding a very specific promise that God had made. It makes you want to know what are the answers to those things, right? So let's back, go back to the beginning of chapter 29 and see how this passage actually starts. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests 
the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So right there, what do we see? This was part of a letter. And it was a letter inspired by God and the prophet Jeremiah wrote it down and it was sent from Jerusalem, the place that God had promised his people, the place of fulfillment and the temple. That's where God dwelled and that's where good relationship with God, this was, this was home. So this was written from Jerusalem to another place to Babylon, to the exiles, people that had been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, uh, where they are in exile. And so we, there's a couple more verses there that explain some of the details of who, who, who passed it on and what the, the dates were. But then we come to verse uh, four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Then back to 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will bring you back and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So what is happening here in this context? Well, this is in 597 BC. This is before Jesus' time. And uh, a significant group of God's people had been taken away from their home from Jerusalem, from the place God had promised, and now they are, they are in Babylon under the rule of a foreign enemy. This was horrific. This was not just a bit inconvenient. Uh, I guess we'll be displaced for a little while. We'll just go live over there for a bit of time, then we can go back home. This was heartbreaking. This was a nightmare situation to God's people. And the astonishing thing that God reveals in this passage, I don't know if you saw it in verses four and seven, God says that he was actually the one who did it. Sure, he used Nebuchadnezzar, but God takes full responsibility. He says, this was my doing. I'm the one who took you out of Jerusalem and sent you into exile. And the reason he did it is because at this time and for so much of the Old Testament, what was happening was that Israel had been unfaithful to God. They had dishonored God by, by giving themselves to idolatry. And it was just sickening how they were treating their God. And so God sent prophets like Jeremiah and he sent prophets to warn them, listen, if you don't change, if you don't turn from your idolatry and come, come back to me, I'm gonna exile you. You're gonna leave. It shouldn't have been a surprise to them that this happened. And so, uh, and so here they are. 
Obviously, they didn't turn back from their ways, and here they are in exile. And, and so when we get to Jeremiah 29, this is what the people are experiencing, the consequence of their idolatry. They're, they're, they're exiled, and you can just imagine they're crying out to God in this nightmare situation, just saying, God, free us from this. Bring us back. Deliver us. Save us. Redeem us. And yet God's answer to them in their pain and their sorrow is so much different than we might expect. See, as one of God's people, you were destined to be in the house of God, to be with God. And so of course God's gonna answer your prayer. Of course God's gonna bring you back and answer, okay, you're turning back, come to me. But that's not actually what God does. Uh, In Jeremiah, and actually people began to prophesy that this was actually gonna be the case. So you go back one chapter to chapter 28, and you're introduced to this guy named Hananiah. And this guy's a prophet and he speaks for God. And he says, this is what the Lord says. After two years, we're gonna get to go back. And it's just like, this is super attractive message. And people are like, awesome, we can handle two years here. And then we're gonna get to experience back in Jerusalem. And yet God says, nope, Hananiah, you are lying. You are a false prophet. Because the truth was, as we see in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, that yeah, God was gonna deliver them, but it wasn't gonna be after two years. It was gonna be after 70 years. And that is a long time. Can you imagine getting that message from God? God's saying, you know, build houses, establish yourself, get set up here. Um, Make yourself at home because you're gonna be here a while. He's saying, get used to it. You are going to be in your anguish. You're going to be in your pain. You're going to be in your sorrow. You're going to be separated from me for quite a while. But finally, after 70 years, you're going to get what you want, redemption. And that is a very, very different message than what Jeremiah 29 is often used for today, isn't it? It was not a promise to individual people about how amazing their lives were gonna be in the short term or over the course of their lives. It was not a promise that they would experience health and wealth for the remainder of their time on earth. It was not a promise of success and all of their dreams coming true. No, it was a promise to the collective group of God's people. When he said, I know the plans I have for you, that you is not singular. It's not like an individual person. It's for the collective of God's people. I know the plans I have for you collectively, and and I'm still committed to redeeming you. I have not abandoned you completely. It was a promise that, yes, I will rescue you, but not yet. Why? Well, he says, I know the plans I have. It's part of his plan. Plans to prosper you, yes. Not to harm you, yes. Plans to give you hope and a future, but not yet. So with that in mind, how in the world would that translate to us today who live 2,500 years later, post-Jesus, we're a different people. This, this passage was not written to us, but I would argue, like all of God's writ- word, it was written for us. That God wants to use it to speak into our lives and our situation today. And what we can clearly see, though, is that from this passage, this was not a passage written to grade 12 grads about how amazing their lives were going to be or to encourage them. It isn't a promise that God, that that all people suffering from all sorts of ailments in life 
um, uh, will experience healing in the next week or the next month or even in this lifetime. It's not a promise that all of our hopes and dreams for this life will come to fruition. That is a false gospel. That is not the truth. And it is a message though that is so prevalent all around the world. Today, just as it was in Jeremiah's time, there are so many Hananiahs today on YouTube and the the people writing the big books that you can buy, bestseller Christian self-help books. This is the message they promise that if you just have enough faith, if you just trust God enough, if you just plant your seeds, God is gonna bless you and give you everything that you could want for this life. That is called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. A false message that claims that the reason that Christ came was, was to help us essentially experience all the things that we want to experience in this life. It's a false gospel. And I'll be honest, it's a pretty attractive message, isn't it? It puts the onus on me. As long as I have enough faith, God's gonna give me whatever I want. That sounds wonderful. But the problem is, is it's not the truth. It isn't what Jesus taught. It certainly isn't what Jesus modeled. Look at his life. It wasn't exactly a health and wealth kind of life. It wasn't what the early church modeled. And, and that actually may disappoint us to hear that, to realize, oh, that God doesn't promise me that. But get this, and this is what I really wanna encourage you with today. The actual promise and application of Jeremiah 29, 11 for, for you and I today is actually far, far better than that health and wealth gospel. It really is. And because uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it is this incredible assurance that God is still a God of redemption. That's who he always was. That's who he always will be. It's an assurance that no matter what we go through in life, that in the end, we will be rescued. We will be saved. It's an assurance that we will have a permanent hope and a future, which is exactly why Christ came and what he accomplished for us and secured for us on the cross. And it's a future, not, in, not based on my own faith and my faithfulness, because, hey, I, all of us here, we can't be faithful enough to earn any of that stuff. We will always fail. But Christ was faithful. He lived the perfect life that you and I can't. He took the place of you and I on the cross for the, for the punishment of our sins. And he alone defeated death and the powers of the enemy. You and I couldn't do that. He's the hero of the story, isn't he? And, and he is, so he is the true and faithful one. And he is the one that is right now preparing a magnificent future for all his people. But do you know what that makes us right now? Do, do you know what we actually are? We are exiles. Do you know that? Do you know that you're in exile right now? Um, That's what the apostle Peter actually called us in 1 Peter 2. He said, we are sojourners and exiles. Just like God's people in Babylon in that 70 years away from home, we too are exiles. We're not actually in our real home. We may own homes here. We may own land. We may have a certain citizenship and passport. You know, the people that we work with in Dubai, it's one of the first questions you ask someone. Where are you from? What's your passport country? Because you can't assume. There are people from all around the world. And when we tell people we're from Canada, they're always like, why did you come here? We're trying to get where you came from. 
We want your passport. And there's this like, we just, we, we live like this. Like it, there's this value on where we're from and our passport and things like that. But the reality is, let's not kid ourselves. This country or any country you could be from on earth, it cannot provide all that your heart truly deeply longs for. Because we all still live in this place of sin and brokenness and pain and tears and death. We are in exile. And just like those Israelites in those 70 years awaiting God's redemption, we are in a period right now where we are awaiting the fulfillment of our redemption from God. And yet, the good news is that just like is that promise for the Israelites, our exile won't last forever. The truth is that the ultimate promise of God and the ultimate fulfillment of Jeremiah is for an eternal future. It's the one described in Revelation 21 where John portrays this just incredible eternity, this incredible future. Listen to this. This is what God's preparing for us right now. It says, the dwelling of God is with people and he will be with us. Yeah, where we will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. Get this, verse four, where he will wipe every tear from our eyes, where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Have you experienced some, some death around you or mourning or crying or pain this last year? Yeah, Jesus is preparing a future where that will not be the reality anymore. For the old order of things has passed away. That's what we can bank on. That's what we can put our hope in. And I'll tell you this, I, I will take an eternity of Revelation 21 over 70 or 80 or 90 years or whatever the Lord gives me on earth, 70 years of, of earthly health and wealth. I'll take an eternity of that any day of the week. That is the ultimate promise and uh, the eternal one that we should have in mind. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, you know what? It's actually an incredible passage. It's actually a good, don't go home and take it off your fridge. Don't take it out of your bookmarks. It's a good passage, but only if we, when we give it to people and when we think about it, we remember that it's not a promise for next week. It's an assurance that in the end, we are gonna have the best eternity ever. That God will redeem us. No matter what we go through in this life, he is with us. So I was thinking, okay, so what would be a good verse for graduates, grade 12 graduates? Uh, what would be a good verse? Well, really for any of us as a life verse. Um, and there's so many, you know, that would help us. And this is what I was thinking. What would help us to honor God with our time as exiles on this earth? And there's so many you could choose from, but, but the one that's been impacting me lately is from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here we find the Apostle Paul writing from prison, uh, near, knowing that the end of his life is near. Just a quick side note. Uh, do you know what verse they didn't give the Apostle Paul when he became a follower of Jesus? Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> no, instead, what did Jesus say to Ananias? He said in Acts 9, I'm gonna show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. How's that for a life verse? Put that on your wall. That's, that's a tough one to swallow. And Paul sure did suffer. The guy faced shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment and all sorts of things. So here he is in, in, in prison writing to Timothy. 
And it just puts all of his sufferings in perspective. It shows us what he really cares about. And he writes to this young protege. And, he, and he's just thinking about Timothy's life and all that's to come. And all of the distractions, earthly distractions that might get in Timothy's way. He says, I don't want that for Timothy. And so, we, so what does he write to him? In 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, he says this. Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Endure hardship. Think about that. Could you, write, could you write those words to someone that you love? Endure hardship with me. Not, may God give you all your hopes and dreams. Not, oh, may God keep you safe and healthy and secure. Not, God has great plans for, for the rest of your life to help you prosper and do well and to keep you from harm and give you a long and bright future. Paul, Paul didn't write that. He said, endure hardship with us. How could you want that for someone you love? Well, it's because Paul knew what Jeremiah 29, 11 was all about. He knew what the gospel was. He knew what the future was that God was preparing for all who trust in him. He knew that it was far better than any earthly success or, or wealth or health that he could, he could experience or attain. He, he knew that now was the time as an exile to work for the Lord. Just like how, how, uh, how it was written to the Israelites, seek the peace of the land that you're in. Pray for your enemies in it. You know, seek their prosperity. And we too now have this incredible responsibility and ability to work hard for the Lord, to seek the peace of our neighborhoods, to seek the peace of our cities. And ultimately that peace is only gonna be found in Jesus and that's what led Paul to write later in 2 Timothy 2. He said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Timothy, he said, endure hardship with me. So back to Joachim, who I told you about in Uganda. We trained him up as a disciple of Jesus. We trained him to train others and to share the gospel with others. He went back home to Uganda when he lost his job. And uh, we heard and we saw on Facebook a few months ago and we lost track of him and many others who had left Dubai, unfortunately, in this last year. But I saw this post that said, pray for Pastor Joachim. I was like, Pastor Joachim, what? And, and pray for him because he is going this weekend to another village in Eastern Uganda where he is gonna be making disciples and training them to make disciples of others. See, what happened is when he went back to Uganda and met up with his family, he realized there's no church around me that preaches the true gospel. It's all of this health and wealth stuff. These people need the gospel. It's time for me as an exile to get to work. He doesn't get paid for it, but he is a pastor of, of a church that is multiplying in Uganda, spreading the true message of Jesus. And that's why Tess and I and our family are in Dubai, because we realize we see people coming to us all the time who are from different parts of the world, and we want to send them back to, to share the good news with others. And there's people in, our, in your neighborhoods here who need this same message. And they're going to be attracted to those churches who say, hey, God wants to bless you and give you all that you want. But that's not the true gospel. 
and, and, and coming out of COVID in this season and where things are starting to reopen, you know what it's going to be tempting to do? This has been a year of hardship. It's been a year of insecurity. It's been a year of fear. It's what we're going to be tempted to do is actually seek to, to, to live in a place of comfort and to pursue security and pursue getting our investments up again and pursue, you know, making sure we feel comfortable and avoid hardship at any cost. We've been hardship fatigued and now we're afraid of it. And yet we're still exiles. And, to, and if Paul were here, he would say, guys, Ellerslie, come along, endure hardship with me for the sake of helping people find and follow Jesus. And so that's my prayer for you as a church family and for our families we head back to Dubai, that we would all live with that perspective, that we would join Paul and Timothy and Joachim and many others around the world and just refuse to look at this time and this place as our ultimate destiny. To, look, to refuse to say, this is my home, because it's not. We're just exiles. So let's use whatever time we have as exiles on this earth to, to help others experience redemption in Christ. Amen? Let me, let me pray. I'd love to pray for you and for us as we seek to embrace and live out Jeremiah 29 well. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you today for choosing the hard. You modeled it better than anyone. You chose suffering. You endured everything so that we could be forgiven of our sin and welcomed into your family. And we just want to say thank you for that, God. Thank you that you are and always have been a God of redemption and that this promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 will one day be finally fulfilled when Jesus returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. And we can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing, Lord. But we do need your help, God. And we, I, I want to pray for my family. And I want to pray for this church family of ours as well, that you would help us to remember that right now we're just exiles. God, help us to remember that this world is not actually our home. To remember that you've given us an incredible responsibility while we await your return to help other people inherit this eternity that you have for them. Help us to boldly share the true good news of Jesus so that others could become part of your family as well. And, and God, I do want to pray for anyone here today who, who is going through a season of suffering, pain, um, who is trying to endure in their hardships and uh, is just wants it to be over and they're crying out to you, God. And I pray that you would minister to each one of them in a very special way and that you would comfort them, that you would pour out your love in their life, that you would remind them of your presence each and every day and I pray that they would grab hold of this promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, and the assurance that you are still a God of redemption. Be with them in a special way. And I pray that you would bless this church family so that they could be a blessing to the community around them. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.